This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. Muck Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with Muck Delivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This is the besotted Pride of West London podcast. And we're trying to work out, this is our post-Christmas, pre-New Year podcast. The only post-Christmas, pre-New Year podcast. It's pre-Easter. Well, it is pre-Easter as well, but I'm sure it's the post-Christmas, pre-New Year, first pre-New Year podcast of the season. And I hope everyone out there has had a jolly, happy, fat and... Turkish and vegetarian, vegan Christmas, um, <laughs> and everything like that. You know, we're good. And I know it's been a bit lapsed the past few weeks, but as it came to Christmas, everything started to fall apart in besotted land. We started to enjoy ourselves a little bit too much. We had lots and lots of things on, so things have been a little bit sporadic, a little bit erratic, and a little bit polarizing. But in the end, it's all good. We're back here again, and we feel actually very happy to be back in the pub. Because we ain't been in the pub sitting around with your mates for a few weeks now, discussing and talking football. I mean, finding an excuse basically to talk football in the pub is like brilliant. Excuse me, says I've got, we've got to go out and talk football. Honestly, on a Wednesday night. Okay, there you go again. So here we go. We've got the excuse, and this time we are in the Admiralty pub in Trafalgar Square. We've gone as touristy as it can get. It's in the heart of tour. I mean, we're surrounded by tourists here. I mean. Half this lot here has probably been at Griffin Park on, on, on Boxing Day, actually. <laughs> Danish here, there's Germans, there's Italians, there's all sorts of characters, you know. So um, there's all sorts of characters here. And it's good, though. I mean, this is a really, really quite a nice vibe. They're taking care of us very well. If you're ever in town, like I said, it's on the south side of Trafalgar Square. Just pop in out, have a few Swifties, a few pints of bride, have a few pints of... Seafarers, you have a few parts of whatever you want to, you know. I don't know, Laney's on the old winter warmer, you can't get off that, even though the Christmas is gone, you're still tucking right into that, aren't you? You've got to, um, you've got to tuck into the festive ales, mate. They're, they're only here for a, a few weeks, and uh, I'm liking this one as well. Jack Frost is, uh, is pretty good. Indeed, indeed. So, listen, I'm Billy Grant, and uh, like I said, I'm here in Trafalgar Square, and I'm here with the mates I've got, Mr. Dave Lane. Laney, how are you? I'm all right, I'm all right. Um, Boxing Day was interesting at Brentford. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Um, 
I've I've had a, I've had a good Christmas actually, considering, and um, yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to New Year's Eve um, more than Norwich fans probably are. Um, so yeah, bring it on, mate. Bring it on, bring it on. I'm just saying because we're in this pub in Trafalgar Square, right in the middle of Trafalgar Square. We could actually see Nelson's column above us, we could, or in front of us. We could see the fountains. We could see the, the Christmas tree still up there as well. We could see St Martin's in the fields over there. I mean, proper, proper. We've got the British Council to the left of us over there. We've got the Canada House. I mean, we're right in the middle of it all. But I'm going to ask you because Trafalgar Square is a proper, probably in, back in history. There's been all sorts of things happening in Trafalgar Square. What is your most memorable, you know? Thoughts, or you know, going back to Trafalgar Square. Um, for me, I've been I've been to a lot of rallies up here, and I've been to a lot of demos and stuff over the years. Um, but I think my most memorable Trafalgar Square moment was just after we took the um, Web out lorry to Dave Webb's house, and we we brought the Dave Webb lorry after being threatened outside his house. We we drove the lorry on back from Essex all the way through the central London. We drove round Trafalgar Square three or four times just to get maximum exposure of this, you know, gangland gangster on the side of the lorry who was murdering Brentford Football Club. And then from here, we drove it all the way back out to Brentford where we, you know... We, we stopped off at the FA as well, which was at Lancaster Gate at the time. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so Trafalgar Square, I've got some amazing pictures and, we're, you know, we try and dig them out because... Um, so yeah, I think that's my. I think that I think that outstrips the, the you know the political demos and being kettled. We've got Savvy B back as well. Uh, good to have Savvy B back here, and nice for you to join us in town. Savvy B is normally a West London man, but he decided because it's the holiday time that he's actually going to jump on the tube, come down to Trafalgar Square, and tell us his most memorable Trafalgar Square moment. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Billy. Um, yeah, mine was actually last year. It was uh, straight after the Oki vote in Greece. And there was a Solidarity for Greece uh, rally uh, down, down here at Trafalgar Square. And it was uh, very emotional because you had all these, all these people, uh, Greeks and English people, all milling together, all, all sort of uh, you know, supporting the, the, the Greek people. And you had the you know, usual suspects like Caroline Lucas and Jeremy Corbyn and Ken Loach all doing speeches. And it was, it was fantastic. It was just a really heartwarming thing in a, in a sort of a year of shit and all sorts of other terrible things going on. And uh, it was just just a night, one of those really nice solidarity type things that went on. So Sav and the Greeks were here in their droves to Falga Square. The Allards, how are you? Yeah, I'm very well. Um, it, it's funny we're doing a podcast now, which could have been the end of um, year review podcast, but we did that last week before Christmas. So I'm a bit confused, but um, but I'm sure we're going to find plenty of stuff to talk about. Trafalgar Square, as you say, which I can see as I'm looking out the window here. Um, I've, I've marched through here a couple of times. Um, I don't think we ever stopped here, particularly. Uh, so I'm, my memory, I'm going to go back to 2005 and, and the ashes. And um, at the time, a lot of Australians said what an overreaction that was. You know, the England cricket team being, you know, thought of as heroes and blah, 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 and the whole Trafalgar Square thing. And actually, when you think about it, that's actually true in it because... Um, it, all it does is shows how shit the England cricket team were for 20 years that just by winning a, what effectively was a two-horse race they get this craziness going on at Trafalgar Square. Madness, madness. And Trafalgar Square, Trafalgar Square for me, loads and loads of memories. Been here loads of times. Always a centre of demos. You know, there was poll tax demos. There was all sorts of stuff. But the one that I remember massively for me was, because if you remember rightly, just to the right of us, just over there, just beside St Martin's in the Fields was South Africa House. And that is where South Africa House was, where apartheid was very, very obviously massive in South Africa at the time. And I remember coming down here, 
year on year with mates, but this place was absolutely mobbed out. And we used to go there and demo outside South Africa House. Me and uh, my, as people might say, my lefty friends, but no, people who actually believe that what happens in South Africa isn't right, so it was wicked. We used to go out there and there used to be a massive cordon of police out there, and there used to be all sorts of shenanigans, but used to be down here all the time demonstrating, coming through outside of South Africa House. And what was really quite nice as well is that when I went to um, South Africa, have you ever been there? I've been went over to Robin Island. You go on the boat, you go to Robin Island, and what happens when you go to Robin Island? You actually get taken around Robin Island by one of the prisoners who used to be on Robin Island. So he sits down and he starts talking about his time at Robin Island. He says, you know, we used to be heartened about the things that used to happen in places like England. There were great supporters of us. People used to smuggle newspaper, um, um, you know, newspapers and all that kind of stuff to them, and it actually made them feel really heartened. And I sort of came out there and I pulled out my photographs of us at South Africa's house, and I said to her, mate, I was there 20 years ago supporting you, and he was so happy. He was like, yeah, we, we just started chatting and just talking about good old times. So, that, you know, that was a really, really good moment. But anyway... We should move back off the politics and back off the Trafalgar Square. We go back to slightly more kind of, slightly less, more heart-wrenching things. We talk about football. We'll talk about Cardiff coming down on Boxing Day. Cardiff, who were, weren't that great a team, but they had Neil Warnock in charge. Neil Warnock was in charge of Cardiff, and we knew that we had to be on the ball to try and get some points from them. So it didn't quite go according to plan, even though we did get a point out of it at the end of the day. But what we'll do is we'll go back to the pub to listen to what people had to say after the game against Cardiff. That was the worst, worst refereeing performance I think I've ever seen at Griffin Park. I cannot recall somebody who was so incompetent in their job. Um, and if they're refereeing a game next Saturday or whenever the next round of fixtures are, uh, it will be a disgrace. The English Football League ought to look at that performance. It was totally out of order. Yeah, I think the changes made a massive difference, but we needed them. We were so flat for so long. Uh, we, it was OK up until they got their penalty. Then after that, it's like a crisis of confidence. We just went totally, totally flat. Um, we, we were just doing nothing. You know, we'd be holding on to the ball at the back and just passing it about. No penetration, nothing. Uh, you know, no, no great runs were taking place. No one was finding space. And it was just awful. I mean, that, that, you know, during that time, it was just absolutely awful football. And something had to change, and he knew that. And we all knew it as well. And I think the changes he made were, were excellent. We said it was early as well, wondering how much um, Mr Frank, who's the new Danish coach, was involved in actually making that decision. Uh, well, I don't know, but I think um, they're, they're, not, they're not unlikely substitutions. Uh, perhaps as Sawyer's going off might not have happened uh, previously, because he's, you know, he's clearly a favourite of, uh, of Dean Smith. But I think, uh, you know, Dean Smith has been bringing McEachern on, and rightly so, because he can really unlock defences, especially those big defences, you know, when they're one up and, and just playing playing for time and pissing around and making life difficult for us. McEachern's the man to unlock those defences, and that would have happened anyway. Kai Kai has got a bit about him, and he showed it today. And I'm not surprised by those two substitutions at all. Bit of a funny game, really. Bit of a flat atmosphere. The crowd got going when uh, the B when Kai Kai scored his absolute stunning uh, first goal. Um, otherwise, I thought Cardiff very functional side, very Warnock-esque. Uh, came here to battle and get a result. Um, us playing three at the back, not sure it suited us today. We tended to play a little bit deep, passing the ball in between the three of them, and then you had um, basically. Um, Egan playing right back almost, you know, getting forward and, and being a bit of an outlet. So when those players are then 
tasked with getting the ball forward, you're going to end up making mistakes and end up just putting it into the mixer. So the ball was going into the mixer or it was going back to Dan Bentley. There was no real kind of style or identity to the team before the first half. Um, Cardiff battled well. Uh, but in the end, I think 2-2 was a fair result. We didn't play brilliantly. They didn't play brilliantly. Two very average teams nullified each other, I thought, today, Billy. OK, we're not, we're not on a terrible run, but we've got hard games coming up. No entry, the, the team owes a performance after the 5 0 away, which was a, a really... I went to that one. It was a, it was a horror show. Away to, 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 be, to be fair, I think we're the last team that they, they've beaten. Uh, I think they've lost every game other than, other than, yeah, other than us. Before, they've lost about eight before that as well. So we owe, they owe us a performance. The fans, well, all the fans, really. Birmingham away is a tough one. And <laughs> I've got this horrible feeling about us losing both those games. And then Martin Allen comes uh, to town, riding high. He'll probably swim up the Thames to the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, <laughs> and then you know, if he's he doing a number of us, I don't I'm getting well ahead of myself, but Dean Smith, he's, he's got to come out fighting next couple of weeks. That's yeah. what I'm saying. There's that, a real lack of inspiration from what we're seeing at the moment. And um, that's the way I feel, especially about today. I was just felt it was... You know, average. Everything was average. We did everything in an average way. Um, you're, and, and the thing is, is that that in, in a way, the um, the Eastley game is kind of hanging over us because because if we say we lost the next two, the pressure going into that game becomes immense. I think on Smith. Um, but if he can get points out of the next two games, then that changes the the picture. So Boxing Day, Cardiff came to town. Cardiff went away with a point. Cardiff thought they were going away with three points, but the 94th minute saw Brentford equalised. Lots of people were very happy, but there's an argument to say that maybe there is a bit of papering over the cracks being done. Yes, the referee was poor, but also Brentford were poor, in lots of people's views, for a good 75 minutes of that game. Listen, we've had a chance to check out the reports, the blogs, the, the videos, the TV, Channel 5, listen to what people have to say. There's a few articles flying around. Just trying to go around the table here and just see what everyone else's point of view is here. Laney? Um, I was just relieved, if I'm honest with you. Um, I took my nephew to his first ever football game, um, little seven-year-old. He's grown up in Mallorca. He's, he's got a Mallorcan dad and my sister's his mum. Um, and he's a big, big um, Catalan and Barcelona fan. And he's M Messi is his world. And he came away talking about Ryan Woods and I was really, really impressed with that. Really impressed that he saw Brentford score two great goals. But for, for that just papered over huge cracks. Um, I, thought, I thought it was, again, another flat, tepid performance. Um, I didn't see any width in the game. Hogan, bless him, he's just running up and down, trying to get a pass to come his way. Uh, it's all too predictable and, you know, I, I think Cardiff... Cardiff didn't deserve anything out of the game, I don't think necessarily, but I'm not sure we did either. And I, and I, and and I, this, these early kickoffs in Boxing Day, they don't no, no one any favours. I don't, I don't know who, I don't know who decides this, but I'm, I'm glad we've had a sequence of Boxing Day home games because that helps, it helps us. But these early kickoffs, it's just, it, it, why? What, who do they, who do they help? Not, you know, not, not me. I mean, Sav. I mean, your thoughts. I know after the game we chatted quite a bit about this, and you know, you saw positives and negatives in that game. I mean, you've had a chance to think about it now after a couple of days. Your thoughts now? I think my thoughts now is that uh, we've got a squad that's capable of doing a lot better than it is. I think because I, I sort of went away and I was sort of thinking, well, we, we were flat for most of that game. So 
who was rubbish, who in our team wasn't very good. And I can only pick one player. I think Vibay was the only one that didn't really pull his weight. Everyone else was okay, but they're playing in a, some kind of system or in some kind of way that isn't bringing the best out of them. So uh, coming away, I, I felt that it's not the, the squad and the players that are producing the, these disappointing performances. It's something else. Yeah, Lord, again, we chatted after the game and you were quite, I wouldn't say disparaging, but you were quite brutal in some of your thoughts about the way that Brentford were playing. And uh, you thought it was actually quite simple. I mean, I think that some people may be thinking about it too much, but you thought it was actually quite simple about the problems that Brentford are having at the moment, don't you? Um, yeah, I thought about it a bit more and I've been reading some stuff as well on um, social media. So there's a lot of people saying, why are the team constantly passing the ball backwards? Um, or they're hitting 50-50 balls to Hogan which kind of answers the question anyway because they're going backwards because they can only see a 50-50 ball to Hogan. So I'm sort of trying to work out, so why isn't there space? Why isn't there anyone to pass to? Because I'm looking at it thinking, you know, you know what, what, what can Sawyers do? He's got the ball, he looks up, there's nowhere to go, so he turns around and goes backwards. And I've just, you know, one of the things I have noticed that we're doing really differently to what we were doing probably more than a year ago is, is and, and this is especially true when you've got wing-backs playing, is that you know, when we have a goal kick or when we have possession in our half, we, we used to spread the play. So the players you know, were hugging either touchline at the same time. Now we're drifting across the pitch towards the area the ball's going in. That makes it bloody obvious where the ball's going. And it also means you've got a lot less of the pitch to play for. If you open it up a bit, a bit more space, that sort of thing. So that's kind of one of the things I'm kind of thinking about. And I also think even like a little bit tactically, I, you know, I, I saw something with Warnock when we went to the... When we went to the flat back four, I'm pretty certain he, he said to Zahora, right, get out wide to the right and play on field. Because, to be honest, that is a, that's, there's, no, there's no competition in that matchup, which is exactly what was the second goal. Um, and, and, you know, and, and maybe we miss out on a few bits and pieces like that. But, you know, fundamentally, we're still we're a small team. We've got no confidence. And the big thing is we're not moving the ball with any pace at all. You know, another thing I don't get is that Passes are being made to play to feet, and I think Vibe is quite guilty of this. And they're bouncing off people's feet again, rather than you know the players maybe one step ahead and laying it, laying the next pass off. Well, well, Vibe's trying to do these, you know, chest downs where he's sort of trying to chest the ball a ten-yard chest pass, which you know just do the simple stuff. I mean, talking about doing, I mean, the simple stuff. I mean, the fact is, and we t- we've talked about this quite a lot. Dean Smith's been in charge Brentford for just over a year now. So it's interesting, there's a couple of articles that are flying around the besotted.co.uk. If you want to go and check them out now, you can do. They'll be getting a little bit of traction as well and being created, you know, causing a little bit of conversation, which is quite interesting. Either like either on our sort of kind of little WhatsApp ring or on you know, or on, Boss, on Twitter itself where people are saying that. And uh, I mean, initially what happened is that after the Boxing Day game, you know, I was thinking, a bit gutted, right? We should have got three points against Cardiff, but we didn't. So I woke up on the day after Boxing Day, I was meant to write a match report and I got up and just the only thing that was in my head was the fact that we actually didn't get the three points against Cardiff. And so I decided I was just going to write this piece because I just got, because every time people go, going, oh yeah, well we got the point, it was all right in the end of the day, yeah, it was not too bad, we scored, and all this kind of stuff. I was thinking, we're always making excuses. What we're doing is always making excuses for the fact that we could be better. And they're always throwing excuses, the referee, yeah, great, 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 the referee is rubbish, right? But we use the referee as an excuse to the fact that actually we weren't very good for 75 minutes. And I'm looking at it thinking, 
Why did we not make a mark after 75 minutes? Why did we not have a go at Leeds? Why were we kind of happy for bumbling through with a result against Burton, you know? Why do we lose against Blackburn? Why are all these things, right? Because as far as I'm concerned, everyone might say we haven't got the players, but we are. We have actually got the players. We're not saying that they're top six end-of-season players or top four end-of-season players, but at the end of the day, they're good enough, I believe, to beat Birmingham City. They're good enough to beat, you know, um, Leeds United, to be quite honest with you, if we're at the top of our game. We went to Brighton, we smashed them off the park, you know? We... Reading came down to us and they went away going, oh my God, if you play like that, you're going to be a top three team. But something has happened and we're not playing to the best of our ability and we keep on making excuses. So I wrote this article saying, will Brentford continue to accept mediocrity? The Norwich match will tell. And basically what I'm saying is that we went to Norwich and I was certain we were going to beat Norwich when we went up there and we got smashed by them 5-0. Couldn't believe it. So they're coming down to us on Saturday. What I've said is basically, I'm thinking... It's not a case of, oh, Norwich have got good players. Oh, they've got Pritchard. Oh, they've got million pounds. They've got all oh, their Premier League, all oh, parachute money. No interest. They're rubbish, right, at the moment. They have lost game after game after the game. They beat us 5-0, then they lost more games. They beat Aston Villa, but they've lost every other game since then. We should be going out and saying, we're going to smash them off the park. We're going to beat them because we're better than them. And if we don't do it, there must be something seriously wrong. Laney. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. I think I think you've got to remember what we are saying. We're not saying that this team or this squad is capable of getting promoted. We're saying it's capable of a lot more than settling for second best and 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 not turning up for the game against Norwich. And we we're not we're not playing with any any pace or any any real kind of style anymore. Um, we you know when Dean Smith. His first couple of games, we, 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 we continued to play really well. Maybe it's because we had Canos still. But I remember the game against MK Dons, which was, was it his first game? And we, we just like blitz, absolutely blitzed them. And you know, I just thought we, we've actually, we're going to continue in the same vein. But we've been, we've been derailed more and more. And, 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 I, and I, think, I think there's a lot of people from day one were just moaning about him. And, and um, they're, they're jumping up and down, going now. Oh look, you know we, we've been proved right. We've been proved right. You know, you, 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 you can be negative from day one, and ultimately, you know, a manager's going to move on one way or the other eventually. And you can't say, oh, I was right. He is shit. It's like me saying now, you know, Dean Smith's replacement. Bloody hell, you know what an idiot he is. You know, it's time he went. You know, we get rid of him already. You know, it, it, we know that his replacement's going to go at some stage too. You know, it's just that's the way football works. But. I, I think I think Brentford have played it well up until this point. I think we, we've given him and we've given him the space and we've given him the freedom and we've given him um, the backing to um, be confident in his in his role and be uh, confident in his ability to pick the team. But I think now I'm, I'm sensing that there's a there, there's an appetite to, to start questioning. And I think um, the the, peop- the like-minded souls that w- you know we, we trust the opinions of you know the dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of them um, there's a, there's a slight sea change and um, you know I think I think now is the time to, to I'm not saying to start demoing or jumping up I think now is the time to start questioning where where we are now a year later and, and are are we stronger are we weaker is the squad stronger is the squad weaker. You know, you could say the squad's probably in the same state as it was a year ago, but I, I, I don't think Brentford, as a, as a, as a team, in, a, in, a, in the way it plays and in, uh, and it's set up and in, in knowing the best starting eleven, I don't think we've moved on one bit. Um, and I, and I, I think now I, I, I can, I can understand why people are now starting to question Dean Smith. 
I mean, people will say that Dean Smith can only do what he's what he can do with the squad, and that it's the Doffs, you know, the directors of football's uh, fault for not getting better players in. And you know, we haven't got a Canos, we haven't got a Pritchard, we haven't got Hotter, who we might get back. Uh, so you know, the, Dean Smith's got a lot of good players, but are they? You know, they're not a patch on the players that Wolves had. But you know, we're also a different cycle of our. Uh, financial fair play and all that kind of stuff. So it's a lot more complicated than just saying it's this person's fault. This person is the head coach that we're talking about, uh, not uh, the manager, not the person that goes out and buys players. He helps to identify them, but he doesn't buy them. And and uh, Benham is the one who says, okay, we've got this much money to spend. You know, unless somebody goes for X amount, we've only got this amount to spend. And you know, where where you've got to compete with Reading, who. You know, have offered nine million pounds for Hogan. We got to compete with teams like that who haven't got parachute payments. But you know, they're in our division and they're looking at the same players. You know, they snapped up Swift and uh, Evans, who we were interested in. So you know, it's 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 you know, who do, who do you blame? Is it just like the cycle we're in, or is you know, is Dean Smith just not good enough? Again, and this is coming back to because I mean the question. This has all come about of us just having a reflective period and looking over the games, particularly over the you know basically after the QPR game and the QPR game we're in euphoria, and after that it's kind of gone a bit flat to say the least. After that, and it seems like we say you know we go through phases where brilliant we ever runs like last in the last season we go through six, seven, eight, nine, whoa, ten games and we winning streak, and then obviously we go through a whole load of losing streak. We did the same thing last season again. It's almost like proper big ups and then proper big downs. It's not win two, lose two, it's like proper ups and downs. Now, this whole consistency thing is, is quite important because as fans, we kind of trying to hang on to the end of the season. We're trying to sort of be there to the end of the season. We don't want to be falling off in, in December or January. I mean, there's an argument to say last season a lot of fans fell off at January because by January Brentford sort of threw in the towel said, we're not going up this season. So a lot of fans are saying, well, what are we turning up for? Like, you know, we want to feel that there's at least something to play for January, February, March. Whether or not it's an FA Cup, whether or not you're going to go there, beat bleak teams, whether or not you're going to go and say, right, at least we're going to go and beat Fulham in, in April. But the problem is that when you start seeing us playing in a particular way, you start thinking, I don't know if that's going to happen. The next minute, about four, four weeks later, we flip it and then we end up winning three or four games in, a, you know, in the games in a row. And it's quite bizarre because it's almost like we don't seem to have a kind of set way about, about, going about doing things. I don't know whether or not these wins and losses are just luck or bad form or players are just just not having it I mean I, I don't know so um, the, the Allard um, yeah it's difficult I mean uh, the, there's definitely been a sort of you know one of our big sort of bogeys or for want of a better phrase is that um, if we don't score first we struggle um, so you know one up thing about I suppose about the Cardiff game was I think only the second time this season we came back from being 1-0 down and got anything at all out of a game you know so maybe you, you, you can kind of say that that's part of our Achilles heel um, it's it is really difficult to work out what is, you know, what's the difference between the Brighton away performance and and the last night of performances we've seen. And to me, it still comes down to fluidity and confidence and, 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 and keeping the ball moving. And I don't, you know, if I knew how to get players to do that, I'd probably be a manager at, you know, or try and be a manager at some, some level. I haven't got a clue how you do it. Um, but Dean Smith is paid to do it. And, um, and at the moment, it's not happening. 
I mean, again, interesting as we talked about the article, which is the you know the Brentford mediocrity article, saying that in effect, you know, Norwich is going to be a real telltale sign because that's a team that we should beat. Don't care if they come down from the Premier League, we have to beat them on Saturday, or else look, there's something seriously wrong. On the flip side of that, there's a an article where which Jim Levat wrote, which it was it was a response to that article, and and what Jim's article was saying basically, uh, Jim, Jim Jim's article was saying, don't blame the manager if we haven't got the players, and that's Jim Levat's view. And it was interesting. So what he did is he, he, he played off the article that I'd written and he was saying, look, first of all, this, this, the Cardiff game, the referee was awful and he actually really changed the complex of that game, which we don't disagree with. However, we think that, you know, it was shrouding away from the fact that actually Brentford were not very good for 75 minutes, right? And that's what the fact... And also, he also sort of he indicated the fact that he also felt that Brentford are playing in the way that they are because they haven't got strength and depth. Again, there's another argument which I think is, to a certain extent, maybe fair enough. But also, as I pointed out, uh, two seasons ago, we didn't have a great strength in depth. We had a great first team. But not be funny, if Andre Gray had got injured or, or, or Pritchard had got injured or any of those players had got injured, two or three players got injured, we would have been absolutely scuppered that season because we were very, very threadbare. And I think part of the reasons why things happened or didn't happen is because there was a, meant to be a strengthening of the squad, which didn't happen. And I think that caused a certain things happening. You know, people will know, we don't want to go into that whole business. But anyway, we were quite threadbare. So the strength in direct thing, I don't think is a real argument. Also, you've got to look at your first 11. And your first 11... You know, there's, a, there's an argument to go out there and say the first 11, they should be up there and go and deliver the results. So go and check that out. Jim Levesque's article out there. Don't blame the manager if we haven't got the players. Um, he also talks about the directors of football not doing their job, as he says. We haven't strengthened to the state that we should have done. Um, there's an argument to say, no, we're not as strong as we were two seasons ago. However, we are, I believe, strong enough to be top eight or a top six side. Um, for now, or beat sides in the top six. And we're not doing that because we've seen us do it. We smashed Brighton. We smashed Reading. We, you know, we've, we've played really well at times, but we don't do it consistently. So the problem that we have is the fact that the players aren't doing it, that, that we've got. If we had better players, yes, we'd be a top three side or maybe a top two side, but we're good enough to be a top eight side at the moment now, and that's not happening. Um, I think, um, yeah, I, I, I agree with all that. I think, I think there's one other thing that, that keeps on sort of coming back to me, and it's, this, and it's the Hogan the Hogan thing is that Hogan is part of the reason we are very one-dimensional. Um, and, and we all know he's great and we all know he's brilliant and we all know he scores a lot of goals. But what Cardiff did on Saturday is they put both their centre-backs on him because Hogan was the only bloke that was playing up there. Any Vive was sort of drifting around somewhere but not, having, not playing with any game consequence. And they managed to snap Hogan out completely. So when we were playing balls to him, you know, it, everything was 50-50. Hogan was never finding space because one or the other would pick him up. And I just think that, you know, that that, it, to some extent, plays against us because then, you know, we talk about the old plan A, plan B, and I'm talking about a developing plan B, why you're on the pitch and why you're seeing the game in front of you, is that, and, and I did highlight this a few weeks ago, and this did change a little bit because Kai Kai scored two goals, but the, the players playing behind Hogan are not contributing with goals for the first time in a couple of years at Brentford. So the players sort of playing, sorry, playing behind the front man, obviously previously Gray before Hogan. They're not contributing with goals this season, and I think that really um, is one of the things that's playing against us too. I think we were actually surprised by Kai Kai. I mean, I, I know I certainly was. I, I wasn't expecting anything to happen when he came on because from what I've seen of him so far, he, he's not delivered. And, and I, that that goal was, you know, 
a free kick that he blasted over before then. You know, the, the goal was a thunderbolt. What a gorgeous goal it was! But it, 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 I'd seen nothing from him for Brentford until that point to suggest that he was going to get a brace and, and rescue the game for us. Delighted, delighted that he did. But you know, I think I think this spluttering performances all over the pitch. I'm not sure. I'm not sure we really know what we're going to get from any one player in, in any one game, apart from Dan Bentley, where he's been consistently good. Ryan Woods, I'd say he's gone off the boil a bit, but again, I'm, I'm still impressed by him. Tom Field, I, I thought he had a, you know, an, an OK game, and you know, I, I think he needs to stick there for a bit. I'm, I'm always impressed by Maxine Collin. Um, I thought Harley was OK, I, you know, and and um, Egan I thought had a, had, a, had, a, had a good game he could have scored a goal and he, he set up the equaliser um, from, a, from a defender he had an, you know, an effective game in the offensive de- department you know, but I, I just think I, I, don't, I, don't think, I don't see there's any real top, top of their game consistency in any position all over the pitch apart from maybe in goal so I, I think you know, when, when he, doesn't, he doesn't know what his best 11 is and when he does pick what he thinks his best 11 he's not guaranteed of getting the best performance out of him. And, and you know, again, you know what my views on Kai Kai is. I mean, Kai Kai got lots of Palace mates, um, get great reviews on Shrewsbury last year, <laughs> came to Palace, all the Palace fans were raving about him, even though most of them have probably never seen him play, so it's all probably internet raving, like you know what I'm saying. Um, he's come here, and he would even admit, and he said it, that he's actually probably quite disappointed he hasn't made the impact that he's going to. But um, I have this theory that, you know, if a player is potentially a good player, um, we got a kind of like we got a latch onto. We got to look at him, and the fact is that if Kai Kai was doing a Pritchard or even doing a Canos um, at times, then he would be out of our reach, and there'll be you know there'll be everyone will be after him, and all these players with big money. So the fact that Kai Kai has probably been playing like he has done is probably quite good for us if we want to nab him. But we actually have to look at sort of kind of nabbing him quite soon if we're going to do it because you know maybe under uh, playing under a different system or playing a different way or playing in a different role or different players in the side, Kai Kai might shine. And that's, for me, it's better for Sharp Bay Kai Kai to shine next season in a red and white shirt as a Brentford player who we've signed as opposed to now when it'd be brilliant and then next minute Crystal Callis part him back off or Derby buy him or Norwich buy him or whoever buys him and that's the score. Yeah, I think we just, just to finish off, I think we should, you know, we should give some credit as well to the substitutions because, the, you know, the Kai Kai J... Um, Josh thing coming on but, but actually when you think about it it was when Hoff came on Hoff you know came on that actually kind of things changed a little bit I, I thought we had stepped it up with the first two substitutions but ultimately you know the goals were scored after that after Hoff came on um, and it gave them something else to think about the Cardiff um, the Cardiff team they probably didn't expect it and um, you know so wherever those decisions came from to make the substitutions wherever on the bench and stuff you know, you, we've got to say that was a, you know, a good thing. It was a good thing as well. And we're talking about, you know, where the decisions come from, because we don't know where the decisions come from. But interestingly, obviously, on the bench, there was uh, there's Dean Smith. You know, there was the old Kelly, his mate Kelly. And also there's the new coach, Thomas Frank. And Thomas Frank is a new introduction to Brentford, and all, you know, and he's putting a new injection into the team. We don't know exactly what the injection is, but there's lots of chat going around on internet sites and in the pub and on WhatsApp groups and everything like that. So it's interesting. So we thought, Thomas Frank, who the hell is Thomas Frank? We need to find out who the hell Thomas Frank is. So I thought we'll go over to our Danish correspondent, Puns. Puns is going to have a chat with a couple of Bronby characters and find out exactly... Who is Thomas Frank, what does he do, and what will he bring to Brentford? I'm here in Copenhagen 
with my mate, Anas. Anas, you're not a Brentford fan, are you? Uh, no, I've never seen a game with Brentford, so... Yeah, but I'm a fan of UConn, so... Oh, cheers. <laughs> <laughs> so, Anas, who do you support? I support Bonby, uh, EF in Denmark. And how long have you been supporting Bonby? Uh, for, yeah, since I can't remember, you know, it's been like 25 years since my last game. I think it was six or seven or something like that. So, so pretty much all of your life. Yeah, yeah, that's that's been my team. And as a Bromby fan, obviously you'll know Thomas Frank very well. How was he as a manager for Bromby? Uh, I think he was a good manager. He, like, um, took over the club that, like, um, ended last season playing for relegation in a very, very crucial game against a very bad team in Horsens, which we just nearly won and just stayed in the league. And he brought uh, a couple of uh, fourth places and a third place, um, which is um, for Bombay's standard, which historically is one of the biggest teams in Denmark, is not is not so great with trees and fours and stuff. But but coming from where where the team was, it's, it was a major leap. So you could see that he brought something like he had his playing style and stuff, and that. There was a problem before that, like we, we we switched every now and then, and oh, this doesn't work, and that, and he had like his principles. So, so more than a safe pair of hands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess so. Yeah. What would you say his strengths and weaknesses were as a coach? Yeah, I think he was like he was school. You know, he's he's um, he's a school in 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 university school in in. Uh, Sports, sports science in Denmark. So, so he, he knows a uh, thing about the theoretical aspects of the game, and like he's, he's he was known for like bringing young players up. He has been a youth national team coach for very many years, so he like he knew how to be around young players and not like to uh, bring them uh, up. He um, he had a very defined style of uh, possession passing game. Uh, and believed in that, and I think like um, he tried to like hold hold on to that, um, which I respect him for. It was kind of uh, difficult for him to hold on to that because at the same time, Bumby had the worst pitch in the whole fucking North Europe, Northern Europe. So yeah, you couldn't like a ball couldn't roll on it. But yeah, so but 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 you know he was brought in to to do this possession game, and, and he, he was like that's what I'm hired for. Yeah, I respect that. So not winning anything, but playing quite good football. Yeah, yeah, quite good football. It was very one. Some games were very good, and some games were awful shit. You know, mm-hmm. we could lose to every team in the fucking league, and and but we won some games, and we won. We won two derby games over FC Copenhagen, and that's been a while at that mm-hmm. point. And any other memorable moments on Thomas Frank, excluding his resignation? Of course. Yeah, there was. That was some. Well, other than the resignation, I, I guess um, the memorable moments was bringing in a lot of uh, former Bombay players, big big players. Like uh, I don't think that he, it was only him bringing. It was just him bringing them in. But we, in, in his period of, of uh, coaching Bombay, he uh, he brought in uh, first. Uh, I think it's Thomas Kalenberg first as an old Bombay uh, Bombay legend, and then um, Johan Almanda, and then of course on top of it all, Daniel Aga came back from Liverpool to play. So some Bromby legends and some Bromby youth. Yeah, some Bromby youth, yeah, of course, yeah. I think, actually, um, Bromby has picked up their form after Thomas Frank left. Um, and 
part of it is that our new coach, Alexander Sorniger, is really good. I think uh, Thomas Frank was his problem was also these young with these old players coming in like in the in the fall of their careers, you know. Um and uh, being like he wanted to of course when you got these players you have to build a team around them and they had a lot of injuries. So okay. it's kind of, and I I don't think it was his signings, you know. He's 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 a he's a coach for the young players. Yeah. So do you think he maybe struggled to control the egos of those big players like Dan Ryder? Yeah, I think I think like having no professional football career himself and like he he had he had, he haven't had an A team like before ever. He had some youth. Uh, national teams and like was pretty much respected amongst other coaches and stuff. But but I think um, the hierarchy of of it all was Daniel Aka, Elmenta, Kainbear at the top, and maybe not him. So almost a uh, Mourinho at Chelsea. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. So definitely more of a tactical guy than a man manager. I think he's good at managing young people. Like I think he's like um, he's good at like talking to young players and making them understand what they, they can achieve by working. Blah blah. And I think he's, um, yeah, I think he can do that. I just think he he like he had no experience, you know. Um, so so that's it's a pretty good start for a manager, you know. Have haven't had a club team before ever. So we've actually brought him in as a link between the B team and the A team. So the B team is sort of our youth team. Um, sounds like that'd be something he'd be very good at. Yeah, I think that that could suit him quite well. I don't, I don't really understand that role very good. No, uh, what, what, I don't think we do either. No, no exactly. But um, yeah, if, if it is like spotting the raw talent at the B team and like telling them uh, how to uh, how to step up their game to be part of the A team? I think that's that's what he's been he's been doing the most of his uh, coaching career in uh, in the international youth uh, squads he's been managing. So so yeah, I think he's, that's what he can do. Like coming as a former manager, so head coach of a of one of the biggest teams in Denmark. Do you think he might think, or an, anyone else? Do you think it's a bit of a step down to? be just a coach at a mid-table championship team? Yeah, I think it's a step down. But on the other hand, like the the, the economy in the championship, are, I think actually better than the Danish Premier Division. Mm-hmm. Like there's more money going around. Yeah, there's a lot of spotlight on being a Premier manager and, and like the whole national newspapers and stuff. And, and it's probably not all the same in, in Ford. And, not, and going from... Going from managing Brentford to no managing Brentford Brentford to be an assistant in Brentford, it's it is probably a step down. He's been like a football pundit at the, the at the TV at the national team in Denmark since. Would you say he could use Brentford as a stepping stone, or maybe be managing a team in England in say five years time? Yeah, yeah, I think it's good for him to like try to like um, learn from somebody on on a club level, like. I imagine the step from the youth national team to being the to being ahead of the one of the biggest or the biggest club in Denmark, one um, is is a hard step. I think it's it's good for him to like yeah learn from a club manager 
uh, it gets he's still young, you know, so he can learn a lot. So maybe he can learn from Dean Smith and Dean Smith can learn from him. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I don't know Dean Smith very well, but yeah. Going back to his uh, his resignation. Mm. It's a bit of a bizarre event for everyone that doesn't know. Do you wanna tell us? The circumstances. Of well, the first of all, it was a fucking circus, you know. We had a like this. We had this money guy coming in, Jan Beganerson. It's like a billionaire in corner. Um, has thrown a lot of money at the club and like saved us from from going broke a lot of times. Uh, and he was the chairman of the club, like put himself in that position. Um, and uh, apparently he, he uh, no, not apparently. Evidently he he. Went into supporters forum under uh, his uh, son's name, Oscar, and like and, and ranted about like uh, Thomas Fang and all the players for Bonby and stuff. Like was like this guy doesn't like he he has to do better if he likes he wants to stay at the jersey and this is all on the coach and stuff. And then for some strange reason he that's one fucked up thing. And then he like invites. Through the fake profile, he invites the whole forum to come and see Jan Beck Andersen and then <laughs> and Jan Beck Andersen's office and get a tour of the stadium. Like he, he didn't even try to hide it was him, so he was just, oh, it's me, it's me. And that's really fucked up. So, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I know I'm not uh, in management and leading, but I think that's not. That's, that's not very good, that's not, that's not one of the first pages of the book, right? That's, and so I, I, I can't blame him for leaving because that's like a distrust from your boss. And of course. Like, yeah, if it's, Those negative comments, do they resonate with the fans? Do the fans think he was bad? Or, or I mean, what do the fans think of him? I think there was the fans were supportive of him for, for a very long time of his career in Point B, but there was beginning to come some displeasure about his results. Like like he because when he took Point B from the relegation game to like being a part of the the, the upper level of, of the of the Premier Division in Denmark, it, it was there was a good thing, but he didn't it didn't take the team the next step, you know. And um People were getting tired of seeing these sideways passing. I guess like it was becoming evident that a very defensive team in Denmark, and there's a lot of those, there's just stand slow. With he didn't have like the keys to 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 wind that up, you know. So so I think there there was beginning to like people, and and also because there was a lot of um, he had a lot of money. Mm -hmm. The budget, you know, he had this, which was was planned uh, mostly on these uh, legends players, uh, Kellenberg, Elmander. Uh, but but the 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 critique was, why can't you get these legends to play football like they just did in another club? So obviously, you may have heard of our owner Matthew Benham, mm -hmm. uh, also runs uh, FC Midtjylland, who yeah. won the Super League in two thousand fifteen. Yeah. Um, he's sort of well known now for trying to do things a bit differently. Mm. But was is there anything that Thomas Frank did a little bit differently, or something that Bronby did a little bit differently that we might see coming at Brentford? Is he is he going to bring any of that experience with him? The 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 playing style was very differently when when we got in the club. You know, the whole possession wise football, we 
before that we had a very tall striker, Simon Makina. He's uh, Preston, I think. Yeah, and, 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 and that got pulled out of the squad. And then we, we, we played this whole, a lot of passes, you know, and trying to get like this Pep Guardiola possession, percentages, you know. So that that's the major differences. He worked with a younger team. And he was not afraid to bring young people into the team. Uh, in his first game, I think he beat the record in the Super League for the youngest uh, average age. So it's it was 23 or something. Yeah, so young, young guns. So that's beautiful. And many of those players didn't like blossom at that moment, but are part of yeah. The one piece playing better now. Yeah, yeah. And he's very. I think he's very theoretical and methodically. Ah, oh, shit. That's a hard word for it. Yeah, he's he's he like goes about it theoretically. You know, like mm-hmm. like from the textbook, you know, so I, I think he's got some sports psychology qualifications himself. Yeah, he's, he's, he's uh, schooled at the University of Sports in Denmark. He's a modern manager in speaking to his players. He's not like, call me coach or something. That, that's not his style. He's okay. like, yeah, you are grown up people. You, I have certain demands. You meet them and then, then you can go about your business life. So that's, that's kind of his style, I guess. Do you think he's going to be a success at Brentford? Yeah, I think what I've just read about the club, like he, I think it's 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 a nice fit, and I think the role he's is going to take on there is a nice fit as well. So I, I could imagine him being a success. I think he's a good coach, um, and um, I think Bambi owes him immensely for like pulling us out of the dirt, like when we were there, you know. So for the Premier League, we can see him on t- television as well. Well, you. <laughs> When I when I take a few Danes over next year, I mean, make sure you come along. Yeah, exactly. So interesting report direct from Scandinavia. Very cold in Scandinavia, but obviously they've got a bit of a uh, international break. Something that was being discussed at some time in the UK. Scotland got their international break in a couple of days' time, um, but the UK we're going to be plodding on, playing our cup game in a few weeks' time. But we won't talk about that. But anyway, puns chatting to Bromby fan about Thomas Frank who is our new coach who's coming at Brentford and he's going to be working between the B team and the A team apparently he was on the bench on Saturday I'm not sure if he's shouting shouting jumping around I'm not sure what he, you know I'm not sure exactly what his vibe is I mean I mean I know the Allard you sit behind the bench and did you did you see what the Frank was going on about on on, on, on Boxing Day um, yeah, the first thing I will say is that I didn't actually realise that was puns initially because I think it's probably the first time I've heard him on any sort of a podcast when he wasn't pissed. Um, so <laughs> that was a new experience and, um, and well done puns, good, good stuff. Um, uh, so Frank, Frank on the bench. Um, well, I, do you know what? Actually, I, I wasn't really watching the bench uh, for this game. However, I, did, I definitely saw him uh, at least one game ago. I think the first game when he was on the bench and um, the Burton game, I guess. And um, he, um, he he stepped up a couple of times into the you know that, that area the technical area that only two people are allowed to stand in or whatever the rules are, and um, and, and, and and put his points across. So uh, I can't say I saw what happened what, what happened on Saturday, but he definitely had his had his say in a previous game. Um, so yeah, who knows? It's difficult, isn't it? We don't really know what this relationship is, um, but we do know a bit more about Frank from what we've heard from. From, from that interview. And what are the interesting things that you, you plucked out from that interview? Um, he, you know, I, I, one thing, I mean, you know, when he, um, I, 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 they didn't seem, he didn't seem that sure, you know, it seemed that maybe the idea was that he was the guy that brought the youngsters through 
I mean, they did feel like there were a few old heads that were brought back to the club that maybe didn't quite perform. I don't know whether that was his doing or whether that was someone else's doing. It's something I'm not that over keen on. You know, you know me. I, you know, I want to keep evolving. Never, you know, don't go backwards. Um, it would have. Well, it's, again, just coming back to it, seemed from what you were saying there and what he was saying is that the young players that he, he worked very well with the young players and he's used to working with the young players from the Danish yeah. under 19 side, so the, the Danish national side that he worked with, he worked very well with the young players. With the older players that came in, it caused a few problems, it seemed to, and, and it, it kind of sounded like the older players were, were brought by the chairman. <laughs> um, that, yeah, that, that, that's quite possible. Um, of course, though, you know, you know, we're talking about you know, other people within the club bringing in the players. So, you know, we have to be a little bit careful yes. about throwing too much um, shit at that one. Um, but yes, yes. So maybe, so maybe there was a bit of an issue there. Um, you know, they spoke about him being a very modern manager and sort of the way he speaks to, you know, to the players and stuff like that. Um, and maybe, you know, some of the older guys weren't that, weren't that familiar with that. So I think he's an, do you know what? I, I think he's an interesting character to have around the club. And a bit like the Fleming Pedersen situation, who I know is in a different role, but it'd be interesting how that evolves in the um, in the future moving forwards. I mean, I, you had a closer look at look at him than I did. But did he have any like um, did he have like any technology with him? Did he have a pad or a, an iPad when he was there? Was he showing? Do you have one of those flip charts or anything? Was there any technology? Um, <laughs> I didn't. I didn't. He, he may have had some technology on the bench there, but I can't see him from my angle. So I've no idea whether he was iPaded or even, um, you know, or even if he had his little laptop there or anything like that. Laser gun or anything like that? Uh, no idea about laser guns or anything. Uh, Raul maybe, yeah, yeah, but yeah, no idea on that. Yeah, uh, well, I, I've noticed him pop his head out. It's a bit like a one of those um, weather vane clock things where they sort of come out one at a time. Because uh, Smith's always out there, but then Kelly O'Kelly will come out, and then Thomas Fank will come out, and they'll just take it in turns. So it's, it's, it's quite nice. But what I got from that uh, interview that Puns did was that uh, he is a, a, a real fan of young players, about bringing them through and, and making them confident enough and uh, you know, uh, sort of bringing them through at the right time to play in, in a team. And we are trying to link our B team to our A team. I mean, that's quite clear. We know that's the way the whole thing is set up now. And I think he's been brought in to do that. I think Pedersen was um, you know, in charge of the B team and doing great stuff. But, uh, and he was sort of getting them ready to go in the A-team. But now we've got that link, which I think is a really nice thing. Someone who can actually work with a B-team, take them, bring them in the A-team, and get them to play. You know, and I think we'll probably see a, a couple of them against Eastleigh. I'll be funny, he's also, I mean, he's on the bench. I mean, the Pedersen and all that, they weren't on the bench. And, you know, and, and, and Kev O'Connor, he's not on the bench. I mean, he's on the bench. So he's, he's obviously involved in the A-team as well. And interestingly, you talk about... Um, the B team players coming through to the A team. We had um, Tom Fields, who everyone thinks is a very promising left back. Still, you know, green at the edges and stuff like that. And uh, quite frustrating that sometimes he gets pulled off after 75, 80, 85 minutes. But this game, he got stayed on to the very end. And of course, there was the questions going around at the end. Who made that decision? Because, you know, normally Dean Swift takes him off after 75, 80 minutes. Was this something that maybe Thomas Frank had an influence on? Uh, I, I don't know if he did, but I think what you do with young players is you build up their minutes. And it was probably you know time for him to play 90 minutes. It, as you say, he was pulled off after 60, then 75, and it's probably his time. But also, we were playing five at the back, and we wanted to go hell for leather, 
and he makes sense to take off one of the uh, one of the centre halves. And in reality, you wouldn't take off uh, Egan, who was basically playing centre forward, <laughs> <laughs> and you wouldn't take off uh, Harley Dean, the captain. So Bielan was the right one to take off and not field. Um. Well, there is an argument, of course, based on Cardiff's second goal. That was the wrong decision because, actually, ultimately, if a stronger left-back had been left up against um, Zahor, is it, um, maybe that goal wouldn't have been scored. So, yeah, you can sort of... you can. No, it was bull- he basically bullied him, yeah, to be honest. But you also need to have the person with pace at the back. I mean, if you notice when we go... When, we, when Josh Clark's on the field and we get a corner... It's Josh Clark that he's uh, standing on the halfway line with their forward because he's got the pace. I think it was slight, something slightly unfortunate about that. You know, it, it, it was a it was a punted punted clearance that just that caught us flat. You know, we we were pushing we were pushing for the win. You know, we we had our tails up and we we were going for the win, which you know you can't knock us for trying to trying to get three points instead of one. And it, it, that did, their their second goal did come against the run of play. And uh, I, I, I really did think, you know, um, you know, Kai Kai's header would have been the winner if, it, if, if we hadn't conceded. We, we were going for it, and there, there was a, that was the only real time that I thought we were dangerous during the match. Was you know, you're probably right when the Hoff was on. You know, he he, he won headers. He was heading it in the wrong way, but he, he won a couple of headers, and he he, he 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 was he was busy. He came on and he was enthusiastic, and he, he looked like he wanted to play well. And you can't, we can't knock him for that. I mean, not knocking him for that. Listen, I'm just going to come back to this, and we talked about this before. I mean, Thomas Frank, or we haven't talked about it before, but this is, and we sort of mentioned it earlier, the rather large elephant in the room, okay? Thomas Frank has come in, and everyone said, oh, yeah, he's the coach. It's it's almost like, you know, us making excuses for us actually not playing very well. Listen, let's just come down to it, right? Thomas Frank is a coach in the side, and this is not coming from any knowledge or anything like that. This has just come from us standing around, sitting around and talking amongst ourselves. We're, we're really trying to work out, or maybe we're overthinking this one, what exactly is Thomas Frank's role? What is he there to do? Is he there to come in and maybe add some injection into this coaching team? So maybe what he'll do is that he'll add his tactical kind of, you know, input to, 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 to whatever else is happening in the team, you know? So basically maybe sort of Dean Swift can help to learn from him and he can also maybe learn from what's happening in the English game, you know? Or is this Thomas just sort of sitting down there and he's just kind of coaching the B team and bringing them through to the A team? Or is he kind of like here to kind of maybe just uh, learn the British game for a year or two and then maybe step up into another role at whatever time? I mean, we've got to ask these questions because it's our football club and we really would need to know. And it's quite interesting, really. Yeah, I mean... The fact he's on the bench show he's far, shows that he is far more attached to the um, first team than Fleming Pedersen was. Um, so the, there isn't any doubting about that. Um, I, I, you know, I, we got the old line that Dean Smith was part of the recruitment process. Um, if that is the case, to some respects, if we think this relationship's going to work, then that's all well and good. Um, it, but, you know... Is he also, in a way, as as I think you've already said, is he the elephant in the room? Um, I'm not always sure these things... I think when you don't already have a first-team coach alongside a head coach, then maybe it's a different situation. But this is a slightly odd set-up. 
and I'm not sure these things always end well. Uh, well, I, th- I mean, I remember we've had um, sort of three people on the bench uh, quite often in the past. Uh, I mean, Uwe had um, Wolves and somebody else, um, Peter, Peter, somebody. Uh, you know, we, we often we often have have three coaches. So I mean, let's go back to the the Ron Nose days. You had Ron Nose, and then he had the Terry Bullivan, and they had the um, um, England Sparrow. manager Sparrow. Brian Sparrow and uh, and and, and uh, no, not Wally Downs and Ray Lewington, ex-England right. manager. So we had we had, we had three coaches and and the manager, which was Ron Nose. So yes, we have done it back in the day. They all had specific roles, though. One was a defensive coach, one was a midfield coach, one was a forward coach, if I remember rightly. I, well, I didn't know I didn't know they were split out like that, but but yeah, I mean it's it's not a bad idea, you know. You, you're getting somebody who's basically very experienced, but you know, possibly as more years as a as a top flight coach than uh, Smith himself. So I would not I mean, Smith never been in the top flight, but you know what I mean, you know. And uh, so he, he's an experienced person, and he's, he's good to have there. But if I was in Smith's position, and somebody came to me and said, uh, you know. Yeah, results aren't that good. We're thinking about bringing a, a, a coach in. I would think, uh, okay, well, I'm I'm in this job. I'm getting so much money. I want to stay in this job longer. You're giving me uh, somebody else to help me out. I'm going to take that opportunity. And you know, if you think of it that way, it's it's actually a good thing for Smith to get more help because you know things are a little bit flat, a little bit whatever, and somebody else is coming in so, and it's going to help you out. I mean, 100%. I mean, again, it's like, again, and I've said this before, probably blue chip companies, that's what they do. If you believe in somebody, you bring them in and you make them a manager, but then all of a sudden you send them on training courses. You send them here. You bring somebody else. You send someone to mentor them because you want to get them up to the next level. They don't do that in football because what they do is they don't like them after four weeks. They sack them. So, it, again, it could be an interesting move. What you're doing is you're bringing somebody in to, to supplement, to help. Maybe maybe the fact is that Smith is great with the players and he, he, he'd probably do a better job with the players than Frank would do. So Smith can do the players and, and do that kind of side of the business and maybe Frankie's helping a bit more on the tactical side. Again, this is all sort of hearsay for us because we don't know. But I think your point is uh, exactly right there, Sav. And I think if this is the right thing, what they're doing, it's actually quite a positive thing from a football club because they don't normally do that, bringing somebody to actually help a manager to another level. So you're saying that Dean Smith would be looking at his appointment as a, a positive thing. Uh, meanwhile, back in the real world, I, I think Dean Smith will be ultimately undermined and threatened by this I don't see this I don't see Frank's appointment as doing anything other than putting the cat amongst the pigeons I, I, I see I see I see Frank as um, a manager in waiting at the moment and that's I think that's that's the real elephant in the room I think um, I, I think you, you, we, you can dress it up any way you want it but I don't think Dean Smith will be looking at this as a positive thing or, a, or, or any stability-inducing thing. He'll be thinking, "Shit, I'm 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 helping the next manager learn learn this squad." But if things improve, uh, Smith stays in his job, doesn't he? Is that is that how it works? The whole point is that you, if you're doing this thing where you're you're you're, you're getting more supporting, you're getting helping to improve your performances, that keeps you in the job. Or the other thing that happens is that if, if performance improve, Smith gets another job. Somebody else will come in for him, Aston Villa. Oh, Dean Smith. Oh, I love Dean Smith. Oh, all right then, you know what I'm saying? And boom, next, next man goes into his place. And that's kind of how these things work. And we've seen those things before. Um, I can't remember what team it was where they kind of signed the manager. And now oh, it's Uwe Rosler. 
it was actually when uh, Wigan signed Uwe Rosler, we were like going, well, you need to sort of take his people around him as well. It's not only it's not all about Uwe. And then they signed him. And they went, oh no, actually, why didn't you tell us? Actually, we needed more people. We needed all these people around him. We did try to say to you at the time, but you didn't listen because you thought you had so much money, you could just take him away from us. Yeah, lot. Yeah, um, I, you know, I, 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 I just think it's an interesting sort of conundrum. It kind of makes things. Um, I suppose it makes some interesting for us to look to look to on, talk about, to gossip yeah, about, to gossip about and gossip about. Um, one of the things though, that did make me it made me chuckle a little bit um, about you know Frank and his time as manager is um, is is what, what I understood from the interviews that um, initially the fans were very supportive, but by the time he went through all that funny stuff going on, um, some displeasure had started to show. Um, basically, he couldn't kick on with the team, and people were tired of sideways passing. Ring any bells? Yeah, you know, but also, you know, this this is the cyclical nature of, of, of a football manager. You've got you've got you've got Alan Pardew, who's one minute too poor to be Crystal Palace manager, and the next minute his favourite to become Swansea manager. I mean, you know, it, th- things don't work out somewhere, but they, they seem to get other chances. So I mean, you know, past records for managers don't really count for much. I don't think. You know, sometimes they work out at clubs, and sometimes they're going to be more don't. And I don't see. This, I just think once you're on that managerial merry-go-round, it seems like you're capable getting any number of jobs until you properly fall off and even like someone like Sam Allardyce he, you know it doesn't, even being a even being you know even that debacle England situation that hasn't stopped him getting another job so I, I don't I don't necessarily think looking at a, the record of a manager in their last job actually makes them any more or less worthy of their next role Ian Holloway anybody? <laughs> no thank you no thanks He may have moved out west, but Liberal Nick is still here with us. And every week, he's going to give us his 60-second rant. Anything that comes onto his mind, check out this week's Liberal Nick rant. England Boxing Day sees three long-standing historical traditions. You either go hunting, you either go to the pantomime, or you go and watch some football. Well, on Monday, I took the opportunity to do both. I went to the pantomime and I went to the football. And the biggest game I saw on Monday was Simon Hooper, the referee. He was a disgrace. Cardiff must have been laughing all the way down the M4 for some of the decisions he took. And what really gets on my wick is that Mr Hooper doesn't have to account for his decisions. If Dean Smith had criticised him in a press conference, he w- Dean would have been fined several thousand pounds uh, as a late Christmas present by the Football League. As it stands, Mr Hooper doesn't have to appear before the press, doesn't have to explain to anybody why he took the ludicrous decisions that he did. So, here's an idea for the English Football League as a New Year's resolution for 2017. Why not make referees appear at post-match press conferences so the press can at least get a statement of why referees took such actions as they do? Happy New Year, everyone. Ranting in the corner, somewhere in the West Country, Liberal Nick. Just when you thought it was safe to listen to this podcast without any liberal nonsense. He's back. He's back. But to be fair, yes, the, the referee is rubbish on, on Bank Holiday Monday. And Liberal Nick came up with a little idea, which was throw the referee and let him be questionable. False. 
Um, good point, Liberal. I, 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 I think it would be good for a referee to be part of a press conference and explain a few things. I think I don't I don't think it's going to happen. I think I think the, the referees association will 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 poo poo that one. But t- um, fundamentally, good idea. I think when when they have done in the past, they've come out and explained their their decisions. It's often like all this technical stuff about you know item. 3B of the you know the second page of the appendix C is about this that and the other and that's what happens and it's all all becomes a load of boring nonsense so I'm not sure it will benefit anyone just to hear them waffling a load of numbers at you. Maybe they could do it with a, with a big screen behind them showing a replay of the actual incident um, something they've yet to see and they're not allowed to look round as they try and explain their decision that that would be mildly entertaining. Um, but yeah, apart from that, I don't see it happening. I, mean, I think just maybe just get them in the press conference. You know, you've got everyone inside them, the journalists, and everything like that. They hold up cards, and the referee comes inside there, and all of a sudden they hold up cards like four out of ten, two out of ten. Or they just start booing them when they come in or something like that. That would be quite interesting. But anyway, Liberal Nick, good idea, good rant, not bad. And, and what do you give Liberal Nick for that rant? Marks out of ten. Seven. Six and a half. Um, yeah, six. Six as well, six. We'll, we'll add it up and we'll see how it goes there. You need to get over a certain number every week. So last Friday, just before the Leeds game on the 16th, as you know, we had our social, the Besotted Social at the Fuller's Brewery, which is absolutely teething tremendous. It was great. We had Richard Cadet, we had Carl Hutchins and we had Paul Gibbs. And they were there and they were great and they, they talked to us most of the evening. People had lots to drink, lots and lots and lots of ale and wine and pride and all sorts of stuff and you know Oliver's Island and lager and beer and they had a very very good time everyone was very very good mannered and uh, it went on till about 1 1 2 o'clock in the morning I think it was we got a next social as you probably know on Sunday the 30th of April the day after Fulham game look out for that we'll put the link up for that so you can actually get tickets for that it's going to be a full-on affair we're going to get a couple of big bees in and we're going to have music and comedian and, and musician and all sorts of stuff but what we're going to give you now is just a, a little clip the social so you can hear exactly what went down on the night. I remember that the start of that season it was a bit it was a bit weird because we had loads of players coming in and going out and it was a it was a quite a little bit of a choppy um, change over time and I, I think uh, you know Webby had a very good eye for bringing in sort of like lower league non-player type players and um, and just throwing them straight into it and, and 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 you know some of them would swim and some of them would sink and he, he didn't feel any way to sort of like bring a player in grab them from non-league sign them on a two-year contract and within three weeks say you know what I've made a mistake you're gone and that was that was sort of like Webby over and over which is why all the players were always sort of like going, oh shit. You know, he's, he's going to sack me any minute. A one well, a story actually. Uh, he sacked the whole team one time and on at, ha- at half time. <laughs> Everybody, we was all sacked. And on the Monday, we had to come in and get our papers. And um, he gave us all the letter, and he said, "Right, you're all sacked." And then on a Tuesday, we got called up by the club secretary one by one. We all had to come in and see him. <laughs> Unbelievable character. I can say what Carl said. We was at South End, and we, um, I think we beat someone five-one on a on a Tuesday. And he gave us a Wednesday off, and on the Thursday, he just ran us rugged. He like we actually he read us we were sick <laughs> to prove a point that like 
No, you're not the best team in the world. He was a madman. He was. <laughs> so, the new year approach, Hef. We've got a game on New Year's Eve, which we're probably slightly happier about than the Norwich fans, who have to come down to Brentford on a Saturday evening for a 5.30 kickoff on New Year's Eve, which means it finishes at 7.30, maybe 8 o'clock, 8.30. Um, 7.30, 8.30, they might get away. They'll be very lucky if they get back to Norwich for the chimes, which means they'll have to spend their New Year's in Brentford, which probably isn't a bad thing if they've been to all the pubs around there, they'll have a bit of a laugh. But anyway, Norwich are coming down, New Year's Eve. As, as far as I was concerned, this is a nailed on three points. If Brentford don't get three points, listen, mate, you, you're on a different, you need, to sort, you need to sort it out. So as far as I'm concerned, it's three points here. Um, guys, I mean, we're going to go around the table and talk about this Norwich match. I know we went out there and we went behind after about six minutes, I think it was, last game. And after that, I mean, our heads had just gone down completely. We capitulated massively. Yes, Pritchard had a great game up there, um, but we made him have a great game as well. Our midfield was nowhere. Everyone was nowhere. I believe it's going to be a different game at Griffin Park Laney. You're hoping. I'm, I'm hoping too. These, these two next fixtures, um, we've got payback on both of them. Uh, they're, they're two teams that we owe a beating to and the, the, the players and the manager can't need any more incentive than losing 5-0 um, a few weeks back and losing to Birmingham uh, you know, around the same sort of time. You know, they, they, they were, we, we played alright against Brum and we lost um, but we didn't play at all at Norwich and we got absolutely spanked. So, um, I'm, I'm expecting the players to, to, to go out there and prove some points. Um, if we don't do it in either, they're, we're, they're, both teams are they're there for the taking. You're right. You're right about Norwich. You know, the, the, they, we're, we're the only we're the only uplip in a in a lot of downblips. And um, you know, um, Zola's come in at, at, at Birmingham and he's lost his first two games. So he's trying to he's trying to introduce a style of play that his players aren't equipped to do. We, we just need to be on our A game and we should be able to turn them over. Um, they just need to go out and do it. Um, we, we can, we can, we can really urge them to do it as much as we, we, we all can, but they need to actually go out on the pitch and do it. And, and whether Josh Clark will be in the squad for what, either of those two games, we don't know. From what we've heard, he's been injured. Um, we got injured against Norwich, ironically, which is a few weeks ago. Um, so whether or not he'll be back for this game, whether he's in training, whether or not he'll be back for the Birmingham game, we will see. Sav? Well, you can't guarantee beating any team, but what you can do is put on a performance. And I think we desperately need to put on two really, really good performances, and hopefully they'll deliver some points. Uh, I think, yeah, I mean, payback to Norwich are on a dreadful run. I mean, if you look at their last 10, 11 games, they've been absolutely bloody awful. One, two, lost nine. Well, that, yeah, that's pretty awful, isn't it? That's the that's kind of stupid run we go on. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's time for a really good performance. It's time for the home crowd to get behind the team. It's time for us to um, be a little braver, I think. I think uh, the team needs to be a little braver. It needs to find pockets of space. It needs to ping the ball around. And we need to put on a performance. And, and, and coming back to it again, the Allard as well. I mean, listen, I'll come back to that. And I'll keep banging on about this. Norwich, not only you know, two, two wins in 11, they've lost seven away goals on the trot. Seven away games on the trot. I'm not being funny, mate, but come on, we've got to win this game, don't we? Yeah, everything points to that. Um, I, I, I don't think anyone's happy about a 5.30 kickoff on New Year's Eve. 
Um, I'm not particularly happy. Um, I'm sure loads of supporters, but like you say, Norwich supporters ain't going to be particularly happy. My gut feeling is Norwich players won't be particularly happy either. Um, so, it, you know, I, they are there for the taking and I just want to do something, you know, and let, let's get out there and get them. But one thing I would say, I mean, I know that you say they're not happy, but... I mean, what Laney said, interestingly, the converse to Boxing Day, 1.30 kickoff, a 5.30 kickoff actually should be much better for the atmosphere, shouldn't it? Yeah, it should be if everyone's getting in the spirit of it. Um, and Norwich don't score in the first 10 minutes, you know? You know, um, you know it, should, it should be like, um, it should be good, you know, good, good for the atmosphere, under the floodlights, you know, and maybe everyone a little bit merry, a few drinks and stuff like that. Maybe, you know, forgetting a little bit about the last game. So, yeah, maybe... Maybe that will work in our favour. Um, I yeah, it, I, I'm just hoping that we we, we turn in a performance. Um, Birmingham game, Birmingham game is c- kind of interesting. We haven't got much out of Birmingham in recent years away. We so haven't got a, anything from Birmingham well, at all. Not the last for about 19 years, I think. Yeah. So okay, you know the stats there. So that that that's kind of how I remembered it, but I hadn't checked it out before. Um, uh, yeah, fascinating. Dave kind of touched on it. Um, in the game they played before Derby, um, Gary Rara, who was sacked a couple of weeks ago and replaced by Zola, he basically said um, the reason he didn't have his team playing the way Zola played were because they just aren't good enough to play that way. And then they spent 90 minutes showing us they weren't good enough to play that way. So hopefully um, Zola will still be wanting them to play that way. Won't have gone into some sort of, you know, won't have taken some advice from some coach or something and you know, playing to Donaldson's strength. Yeah, keep passing the ball about and, um, yeah, and not, and not be able to. So uh, we should, we, we could get something out of both these games. Again, you know, I'm not going to go, I'm not going to bang on about it too much. Like I said, you can read the article, besotted.co.uk. I think Norwich, we should get three points over them, 2-0, straight up. We should go out there, the players should have some pride and go out there and smash Norwich and say, I don't care if you are Premier League, we are going to beat you. And the fans should be roaring because, yes, it's New Year's Eve, but listen, if we're at the football match, we're at the football match, so you might as well get down there in the afternoon, watch a bit of Stelling, watch the other results come in, go down there, have a bit of a laugh. By the time the game comes, we'll be absolutely pumping. We, we At least we've got a later game rather than an earlier game. So let's, look, the game's on, so let's go and have it. We'll do that. Birmingham City, we owed them so badly. We used to hate Birmingham City so badly, and they've beaten us so much. It's like it's kind of been seeped out of us. But I think we need to go down there. They're not great. Yeah, they might be in the fifth or sixth or seventh position, but we, if we're on our game, better than them. So they needs to go up there with Frank and all the other characters, get the troops to go up there and say, listen, you show me how good you are. You go and show me that you can play football. We go out there and get two results out of those two games. I'm going to get a 2-0 score prediction against Norwich and a 2-0 score prediction against Birmingham because I am confident that if, you, if, if they've got any balls up there, they'll actually get those results. Laney? Uh, one all draw against Norwich and a 3-0 Brentford win at Birmingham. I'm going for uh, 2-1 Brentford at uh, Norwich and 1-1 at Birmingham. Um, I think we're going to lose against Norwich. Um, I think we're going to lose 2-0 and I think we'll beat Birmingham um, 2-0. Interesting, interesting. Listen, lads, great to catch up with you in this post-Christmas, pre-New Year podcast at the Admiralty Pub in Trafalgar Square. Emptied out a little bit, like, you know, it's not... Obviously, there's no work crowd here so much. Sort of touristy crowd. They've obviously gone off to, to go down to Chinatown or something like that and go... Oh, the theatre. Oh, no, that, that's right, yeah, that's right. Got to, yeah, that's right. They're all outside the South Africa house sort of throwing chairs at the policemen out there, you know. And I've told them to stop because I've said to them that, that, you know, 20 years ago I didn't, didn't agree with that kind of activity. But anyway, <laughs> go on. This is the Besotted Pride of West London podcast. Thank you to the Admiralty. They've taken really good care of us. Come and check it out if you are ever here. 
Um, like I said to you, Norwich game on, on, on Saturday. There's still tickets for it, so go to Brentford FC and buy some tickets for your mates. Get them down there early, get some drinks, get some New Year cheer down you. I think there's a few pubs going to be open till quite late on that night as well, so it should be a bit of a laugh. I think I'm going to be going down there, and I think the Arthur family's coming down there as well, as you should do on a day like that. But anyway, as I am going to say, I'm absolutely delighted to, to, to predict that Brentford are going to get three points against Norwich on Saturday. Absolutely delighted they're going to get three points against Birmingham on Saturday because Brentford are back. But as we say in the Admiralty pub with, with the Nelson outside the window there, we say the chart as we say, Come on, you Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.